0: following is a teaching message from shore community church for more information on shore for our teaching resources visit www.shore.org.nz well it is good to be here with you this morning uh, you've shown us tremendous hospitality and uh, we are so thankful uh, my wife and I love to visit our brothers and sisters in Christ around the world, and uh, over the years we've had opportunities to, to minister overseas in Haiti and in Puerto Rico, uh, in Scotland, uh, most recently in Australia a couple of years ago, and now it's good to be here in uh, New Zealand. And it's always a joy to worship with believers from around the world. But you know, the world is getting smaller And you don't have to travel all that far to mingle with people from other cultures. Uh, They're just all around us. Uh, About five years ago, uh, during the Christmas holidays, I decided that I was going to take my daughter, uh, Abigail, to Disney World for Christmas. And uh, we went down to see Mickey Mouse in Disney World. Have any of you been to Disney by any chance? A few? Yeah, okay, a few have. I took her down to see Mickey Mouse, and you talk about a foreign country. Because even though Disney is in America, uh, it is filled with guests from all over the world. There were people there speaking German and French and Chinese and Japanese and and Portuguese. And you don't have to be around people from different cultures very long to see that we really all have a lot in common. Uh, Let me illustrate. If you ever get the opportunity to visit Disney World, there's a ride there called the Tower of Terror. It's one of the most extreme thrill rides that they, that they have at Disney. And essentially, you ride on an elevator up to the 13th floor of a, an old abandoned hotel, and, and the elevator just drops you in a free fall. And it, it's pretty intense. And I was standing near the exit for the Tower of Terror when this Italian family got off the ride. And there must have been a dozen of them. There were grandparents and parents and grown children. And uh, when they walked through the exit, they ran to meet the other half of their family, who had already ridden the ride and had already gone through the exit. And they just merged in this giant Italian hug. Uh, this group of about 20 Italians, they were so happy that they had survived the ride. And they just ran embracing and kissing one another right there in the middle of the park. You know, mama, papa, pizza. They were just so so happy to be together. And this went on until everybody in the group had hugged and kissed everyone else in the group. And as I watched this, I I thought and I was reminded that regardless of cultural backgrounds, people essentially have the same fundamental needs and desires. For example, everyone wants to be connected with someone or some group or some family. And that's why they were coming together and hugging. Now, we may not express it like that Italian family did, but one of the ultimate desires of human beings is to be with others. And it's a God-given desire that comes from the fact that we are created in the image of God. Because if you think about it, God has never been alone. He has existed eternally, God the Father, with God the Son, with God the Holy Spirit. And as a result of being created in his image, we we are given this desire and we reflect this desire to be with others in community and in deep relationship. That word with is a small word for an idea that is so fundamental to our being. It's a function word that indicates combination or accompaniment or presence. And with makes things better in the small things of life. For example, tea with cream and sugar. It's just better with cream and sugar, I I think. I hope I haven't offended any New Zealand sensibilities, but I like it with cream and sugar. But in the relational sphere, with connects us with our deepest longings. Husbands with wives. Friends with friends. Parents with with children, as we've even seen this morning, right? Sweethearts with sweethearts. And to be with others in meaningful relationship is a great blessing that ministers to our deepest needs. But one of the most striking realities that's revealed in Scripture is that God, the God of the universe, also desires to be with us. We see this throughout Scripture. In the wilderness, God dwelt with the Israelites in the, in the form of the pillar of cloud and fire. And then when they settled in Jerusalem, his presence was with Israel in the temple. And then the child came and they named him Emmanuel, which means God with us. And then when Jesus departed after his resurrection some of his last words to the disciples were and i will be with you until the end of the age and this morning i want to talk a little bit i want to explore this idea of being with god and i want to help you think about being with god perhaps from a different perspective and i want to start in an old testament book probably a place that you wouldn't expect If you have your Bible with you this morning, turn to Leviticus chapter 19. And I know Leviticus is the place where all good Bible reading programs bog down. right? But I want to look at Leviticus from a little different perspective this morning. Most people think Leviticus is a book of of rules and regulations that are outdated and have no relevance for contemporary Christian life. I would argue that nothing could be further from the truth. So let's look at Leviticus chapter 19. Verse 1. Verse 1 says that the Lord said to Moses, Speak to the entire assembly of Israel and say to them, Be holy because I, the Lord your God, am holy. Be holy because I, the Lord your God, am holy. That command is really central to biblical faith. The holiness of God is what distinguishes Yahweh from all of the other supposed deities that were thought to exist in the ancient Near Eastern world. It was His holiness. And this command to be holy is restated several times in Leviticus, at least three times explicitly. It's also picked up in the New Testament by the Apostle Peter, who thought it was so important in one of his New Testament letters, he repeats this command to Christians, Be holy, because the Lord your God is. Is holy. But there's a significant dimension of this command that we might easily miss. I don't think it's too difficult to see that God wants us to live lives that are true and pure and right. So he says, Be holy because I'm holy. We're created in his image and therefore we're to reflect his holiness through our action and our behaviors. I think we get that. But there's something else going on in this command. As well. And this is the part that I want us to, to think deeply about this morning. There's an Old Testament scholar, J.K. Bruckner, who states it well. He says, You shall be holy is not only an imperative command, but also a statement of the necessary relationship to God. Now, think about that for a moment. Holiness is not only something that God commands so that we might live moral lives and project His image into the world. It is also, at at the very foundational level, it is the necessary grounds of fellowship with God. We must be holy because He is holy. Holy. Think about the context of the book of Leviticus when this command was first given to the Israelites. Israel had come out of of, uh, exile in Egypt, and God suddenly shows up with His holy presence in the middle of the Israelite camp in the form of this pillar of cloud and fire. And Yahweh dwells in the camp with Israel. And this gift of God's holy presence is a blessing, but the Israelites have to learn how to live rightly rightly if they plan to continue dwelling with this absolutely, terrifyingly holy God. Can you see that? Be holy because I, the Lord your God, am holy is not just a command telling us to be good. It's God reminding us that of the only way that we can commune with Him. Holiness is the moral standard, but it's also the grounds of fellowship, the basis of fellowship with God. I can't be with God unless I'm holy. Now, that's a bit of a frightening thought, isn't it? Until we appreciate two things. First, the grace of God, who allows broken people to be in fellowship with Him. And I think most of us get that. But secondly, we've also got to appreciate the fact that God has given us examples of holiness and the means of living a holy life that brings us into fellowship with Him. God never calls us to something without providing the means. And I think it's the means part that we often overlook. So look back now at Leviticus 19, and it's interesting. You'll notice right after the command to be holy there follows a long list of specific ways the Israelites could live a holy life in fellowship with God. And it's not an exhaustive list. It's not intended to be an exhaustive list. Instead, it's representative. It it serves as a model of ways that we might walk with God in communion and fellowship with God. So we have a list of examples. For example, in verse 3, each of you must respect his mother and his father so when you honor your mother and your father you're not only doing what is morally right you're also sharing in that act with god because god is the kind of god who honors others or take verse 16 for example do not go about spreading slander among your people So when I speak a truth about someone, I am right alongside God in speaking that truth in that act because He is a God of truth. The next part of that verse says, Do not do anything that endangers your neighbor's life. When I look after my neighbor's safety, I share in that act with God because God values human life and it brings us into fellowship. Verse 9 and 10 maybe are the most famous, one of the most famous commands in chapter 19. It's the gleaning laws. Don't harvest all the way to the edge of your field. Don't pick all the grapes off your vineyard. Leave some of that for the poor and the foreigner who is in your land. When the Israelite obeyed that command, he was not only doing what was right by providing for the poor and for foreigners, but he was also participating with God in kingdom concerns. Can you see that? He, he is, the Israelite was doing what God would do. And so the doing, the action, the command is then something that the Israelite and God have in common. And if we can wrap our minds around that way of thinking about God's commands, it changes the way we think about obedience. Completely changes it. Obedience becomes shared experience with God. When we made our trip to Disney World, my wife Stephanie and I wanted to ride the rocking roller coaster. It's, it's a pretty good roller coaster at Disney World in Florida. But our daughter Abby was only three and a half at the time, and she was too short to ride the ride. So we had to take turns and ride separately. So I had to get in what's called the single rider line. Yeah, you got to ride it by yourself. And I enjoyed the ride, but not nearly as much as if I had ridden with my wife Stephanie. Because she is hysterical on roller coasters. (laughs) She screams and laughs and yells uncontrollably. And it's just just a blast. And I missed the shared experience of doing something together. Uh, There was a survey in America several years ago, a study actually, uh, trying to determine the secret of healthy families in America. And the study revealed that camping was the common denominator in healthy families. Now imagine that, camping. So if you've been paying a marriage and family therapist or a counselor, quit paying them and buy some camping equipment, just go camping. Well, they probed into the the results of the study a little deeper and they saw that it wasn't really camping, but it was families that had experiences together. Doing things together. Because doing things with one another builds a bond. It deepens relationships. And that's how God's commands work. That's how they work. And we often fail to see this dimension of God's commands. We see them only as moral obligations rather than as avenues to be with God. And we often talk about having a relationship with God, but we often fail to understand and realize that we can't have the relationship without acts of obedience. It just doesn't work. Uh, another Old Testament scholar, Walter Brueggemann, said it well. He said, Yahweh is a God who commands, and Israel's critical mode of engagement with Yahweh is by obedience. That's why Jesus said in the New Testament, if you love me, you will obey what I command. Because that's the basis of our relationship. So if you want to be with God, obey Him. Do what He tells you to do. Verse 11, back in Leviticus says, do not steal, do not lie, do not deceive one another. When I honor someone else's property by not stealing it, that brings me into union with God. On the other hand, if I deceive someone, that act of deceiving someone separates me from God, doesn't it? It creates a barrier. Verse 32 says, Rise in the presence of the aged. Show respect for the elderly and revere your God. So, helping an elderly lady across the street is not only the right thing to do, it is an act that God and I have in common. Verse 14 says, do not curse the deaf or put a stumbling block in front of the blind. So when I honor the disabled and treat them with respect, I enter into deep fellowship with God because God values all people. All people. Can you see how His commands are a window to being with God? And so the question then this morning is, How are you doing in this area? Are you trying to have a life with God apart from obedience and apart from pursuing a holy life? If you are, it won't work. It just won't work. But there is a God who desperately wants you to connect with Him through this portal of holy living. Let me try to illustrate this. When, when I made the uh, reservations at Disney World, we decided that we wouldn't tell my daughter, Abby, that we would surprise her as sort of an after-Christmas gift. And she'd been hoping and dreaming for a long time about going to Disney World, but as far as she knew, we were just traveling south to visit family over the Christmas break. About a month before we were to leave... Abby and I were talking about someday, possibly, hypothetically, maybe if the stars align, maybe one day going to Disney World. And and she got kind of quiet for a moment and was thinking, and she said, Dad, it costs a lot of money to go to Disney World, doesn't it? I said, yes, it does. There was another long pause, and finally she said, Dad, I wouldn't mind too much if we used some of the money in my piggy bank to help pay for the trip to Disney World. Now, she was three and a half at the time. Now, i had already paid for the trip. But I knew, knowing my daughter, that she was serious about contributing her savings toward this family adventure. And in that moment, I felt very connected with my daughter. She wanted to participate in this thing through her sacrifice. Now, I think she had about 89 cents at the time. <laughs> and I said, well, honey, it's going to take you a long time for you to save enough money to go to Disney. But Abby was focused. Anytime we were out, she would scour the ground for lost coins. You know, the Kmart parking lot was no longer a place to park your car, it was a potential gold mine scattered with coins that had been lost. She managed to save about two dollars from all the chains she scrounged up. Well, a couple of days before Christmas, this is before we left for our trip, Abby and I were finishing up some last-minute shopping for mom, and we were getting some stocking stuffers. We were coming out of the store, and as we came out of the store, there was a Salvation Army volunteer at the door collecting money for the needy. Does the Salvation Army do that here in New Zealand? Yeah. So uh, they had a bucket there collecting change and collecting money. And I had two uh, quarters in my pocket, two coins. And I thought, this could be really interesting. So I took those two coins and I gave them to my daughter and I said, do you want to save these? Put them in your piggy bank and save them to help pay to go to Disney World one day? You see her eyes kind of lit up. And then I said, or do you want to put these in the Salvation Army bucket to help people who are in need? I mean, you could just see the wheels turning in her mind and she thought for a moment and she said, well, Dad, we don't have to go to Disney World but people need help. And so she took those two coins and she walked over and, and she put them in the Salvation Army bucket and she came back and we held hands as we always did in those days when we crossed the street uh, and crossed uh, over into a parking lot. And she was happy that she could help someone else, but I don't think she realized how her actions impacted me as her father. I just wanted to freeze that moment in time because if you're a parent, you know most parenting moments are not like that, right? I just wanted to freeze that moment in time because I felt this intense sense of connectedness with my daughter because she was reflecting the values that I hold so deeply. She was thinking the way that I like to think and doing the kind of thing that I would like to do in my better moments, And in that moment, we were connected both in our doing and in our being. We were with one another in a very profound way. And I think God sees our obedience, or lack of it, in exactly the same way. Our Heavenly Father sees it in the same way. When we do the things that He calls us to do, we are ushered into a deep sense of connectedness with God. And that's something that most of us, I think, want. That's why in Hebrew thinking and Old Testament spirituality, the law plays such an important part in their spirituality the Levitical law makes it clear that dwelling in the presence of an absolutely holy God demands a certain kind of living. We can't simply have a relationship with God on our terms. It has to be on His terms because He's the holy God. And therefore, it's through the daily obedience to the law that the Israelite would enter into this deep relationship. And so every act and deed on our part, can be viewed as either distancing us from God or bringing us into deeper relationship with God. Now, I've been talking a lot about deeds and action and commands, and it all sounds very Old Testament-ish, right? And you would expect that from an Old Testament scholar. But Jesus' teaching on obedience is in a fundamental continuity with what we read in the book of Leviticus. Listen to John chapter 14. The context here in John 14, Jesus is talking about being with God. He's talking about the promise of being with God. And listen to what he says. John chapter 14, verse 15 and following. Jesus says, if you love me, you will obey my command. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another counselor to be what? With you forever the spirit of truth the world cannot accept him because it neither sees him nor knows him but you know him for he lives with you and even more than that will be in you that's close communion and fellowship isn't it then jesus goes on just a few verses later in verse 21 he says whoever has my commands and obeys them he is the one who loves me He who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I too will love him, and get this, and I will show myself to him. See, the person who obeys is the one who will see God and know God. And then just in case we didn't get it, a third time, and any time Jews do anything three times, it's a big deal. So the third time. Verse 23, Jesus says, If anyone loves me, he will obey my teaching. My Father will love him, and we will come to him. And what? Not just be with him. Make our home with him. The most intimate form of communion and dwelling. Three times, Jesus connects being with God and obedience to his commands. So the degree to which we obey God's commands determines the degree to which we have real intimate fellowship with God and with Jesus. Now, to be clear, I am not talking about salvation through deeds and actions. I'm not talking about that. But I am talking about fellowship through obedient action. It's what the Jews called mitzvah. It's a great word. Literally, it means command, but, but it's really any act that brings us into communion with God. Uh, a few years ago, I had a friend, an older friend named Dolores Nichols. She played the organ at a church where I had served many years back, and Dolores had cancer, and it was terminal. And uh, I went to visit her before she died, and when I arrived... After I drove down, I I had to wait because the family was dealing with a plumber who had come that day to repair a clogged drain down in the basement. And evidently, it was a major plumbing issue because he'd been down there for hours and hours working on this. Uh, And he finally finished up, and as he was leaving, one of Dolores' daughters asked him, how much do we owe you? And he looked at her and he said, you don't owe me a penny. He wouldn't take any money because he wanted to express love and concern and kindness to this dying woman and her family who was grieving. That's mitzvah. It's an act of kindness that this plumber had in common with God. And when I think about that plumber, I remember how I felt when my daughter put the change in the the Salvation Army volunteer bucket. And I imagine that God felt much the same way when this ordinary guy sought to show compassion through his selfless act. And I can just picture in my mind's eye God and this plumber walking out to the plumbing van to head home in this deep communion. This Old Testament understanding of obedience, I really think helps us understand why John would write in one of his letters, in 1 John, he says, This is love for God, to obey His commands. His commands are not burdensome. Well, of course they're not burdensome. They are the primary means of fellowshipping with God. So here's what I want us to do as we close our service. I want you to think for a moment about your actions, your behavior the past week. And I want to leave you with some questions to reflect on for just a few moments before we close in prayer. So think about these questions. And we'll just give you a few moments of silence to think about them. When did I fellowship with God this week by sharing His love with someone? Where did I receive God's love this past week from someone who was walking with God? In what ways did I notice God during my week? Was I attentive to the opportunities for fellowship with God through obedience? When did I fail God this past week, and why? Where was God this past week? And did I miss him or did I connect with him? Good and loving Father, we seek your help. Through your Holy Spirit, help us understand the motives that lie behind our attitudes and our actions that make up our week. Help us see your gifts and how we respond to them. Give us eyes to look deeply and a heart to understand. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.